failure is part of the path. It is, you, you have to make mistakes to be able to learn from them. Also, try to learn as much as you can from other people's mistakes. So you don't have to make as many of your own. And also, shut up, put your head down, and put the work in. Because if you aren't putting the work in, you're stealing from yourself. The only way you're ever going to be a success at anything is to actually do the work. From SIGEV, you're listening to Lessons in Leadership, a show about the brothers and friends of SIGEV who are innovators, disruptors, and pioneers in their personal and professional lives. Together, we'll learn how they became the leaders they are today. I'm Brian Warren, SIGEV's Chief Executive Officer. And on today's show, Steve Hofstetter is a graduate of our New York Phi chapter at Columbia University and a comedian and author with a national profile. He has 600,000 YouTube subscribers, 500,000 Facebook followers, and over 650 million views across those platforms. He has made numerous TV appearances as well. You may have seen him on ESPN's Quite Frankly, CBS's Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, Fox and Friends, Showtime's White Boys in the Hood, VH1's Countdown, and ABC's Barbara Walters Special. He's also hosted Fox's Laughs and Comcast's Trial by Laughter. Steve was senior comedy correspondent for Fox Sports and hosted radio shows The Sports Minute or so on 170 radio stations, as well as four quotas on Sirius Satellite Radio. The original writer for collegehumor.com, he's written humor columns for the New York Times, sportsillustrated.com, nhl.com, and got his start by co-founding the website Sports Jerk of the Week. His fifth comedy album, Pick Your Battles, reached number one on the iTunes comedy charts. Brother Hofstetter is a longtime member of SIGEP's Board of Governors and former student director on SIGEP's National Board. He currently serves on SIGEP's National Advancement Council, a volunteer fundraising council supporting SIGEP's life-changing leadership programs. Steve has had quite the career and has still found time to contribute so much to our fraternity along the way. We're excited to have him on the SIGEP podcast. Thanks for being here, Steve. I appreciate it, Brian. And and I, I will say, this is me being a comic. All I could do is focus on the one thing in the intro that really had to say Fox and Friends. That one, I didn't want to go on that. I don't want to go on that. I had to go on that. Contractual obligation. But uh, we'll, we'll let it go. It's fine. Thanks for I, having me. Of course, I'll add to this, uh, just so you know that the staff has already created the explicit language disclaimer for the episode, <laughs> so you can feel free to be yourself and uh, weigh in with as much color commentary as you'd like. Well, that's fucking great. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> there we go. Uh, can we can we start off by you talking a little bit about your introduction to SIGEP, how you became a brother, and, and a little bit about your journey along the way? Yeah, um, I did not want to be a brother. Um, my, my brother is a member of AEPI and, uh, the chapter at my school apparently was not a good one. Um, my brother specifically said to me, he was like, I know those guys don't, don't join. Um, and so I was like, okay, no problem. And to me, that was what was going to be being in a fraternity. You know, uh, Jewish kids at Columbia did not join fraternities other than AEPI. That's just how it went. Um, and then, uh, you know, the end of my my freshman year, I was uh, writing for the school paper and the news editor, um, Benjamin Lowe, was a, was a SIGEP and SIGEP was pretty new, had just gotten the house. And yeah. so he very wisely 
had a little party for, you know, the end of the year party for the new staff. And by party, I mean, like, you know, the new staff, what were we, eight people? You know, it was just like a nice little eh, sit around, you know, eat, eat, eat lunch and talk um, at the house. And so he uh, he showed us around the house and uh, this I'm glad you have the colorful language uh, warning because <laughs> I said to him, I said, hey, you know, eh, it's a really nice house. And he goes, meetings are Sundays at nine. And my exact words to him, I will never forget what I said. My exact words were go fuck yourself. Because I had no intention of joining at all. But he was a friend and, and a mentor. And he invited me to a meeting of all things. I guess he knew my personality that meetings would impress me. And uh, I, was, I was at that meeting for five minutes before I was looking around being like, these are my friends. This is what I've been looking for. I was, I was lonely and aimless my first year of school. And looking around that room, I was like, this is who I want to be. Like these guys looking at their juniors and seniors be like, this is who I aspire to be. And I, you know, two weeks later, I was a brother. I feel like that story can hit home so hard right now, considering what's going on on college campuses, like the, the connectivity that people want and the relationships that people want, having someone to emulate. That's that's an awesome story. Yeah, I, I very much credit SIGEP with so much of who I am. Um, I was such a, I was, a, I was a shy kid with big dreams and it, you know, it allowed me to have enough confidence to actually pursue who I wanted to be and not let who I wanted to be just kind of fall by the wayside as, as the saying goes. Well, let, let's kind of go down that path. What, what did you want to be? How'd you, how'd you end up getting into comedy? <laughs> um, well, I wanted to be a writer. Um, you know, comedy, comedy was something I accidentally found my, my senior year. Um, mainly actually I found it at the, at the birthday party for one of the, one of the brothers. Um, we went to a, a local, you know, local bar off campus that did comedy. And so like, we were just hanging out in the other room and they had a comedy show and like the side room and we decided, ah, you know, let's go watch. And, you know, just watching that, I, I was like, ah, you know, I've always wanted to try this. And I had written down some ideas for bits before, but I never really kind of had the courage. And so then um, I talked to the guy who produced the show and I ended up, you know, writing and 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 I did a set uh, maybe a month or two later. And a bunch of the guys came to watch me and support me because that was that was one of the things about SIGEP that always stood out to me was that no matter what you did, a couple of guys always came. Like it didn't, it didn't matter if, you know, there was at one point where I had, a, I had a, a band. It was so stupid and horrible. We were very, very bad, but the songs were funny. And uh, we played some on-campus event for Safer Sex Week. It's the lamest gig that ever existed. But you know what happened? Eight guys front and center came and supported me. And, and that's always what it was. And now, you know, that was, uh, I, you know, that was always really important to me. So you've been at this for a while. Can, um, how have you gotten so good? <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, a lot of failure, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of failure, and you know, and picking myself up off the ground and trying more. Um, Stand up comedy is a combination of. I had an old podcast called uh, "High Confidence, Low Self Esteem," and it was because those are the things that make a comic. 
you you have to believe that you're good enough to stand up in front of a room and have people listen. But then you also have to have low enough self-esteem to know that you need to be better. It's a combination of I'm the best, please think I'm the best. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, um, you know, and, and that is, I think that is what, what makes a comic. You, you have to constantly, you have to, you have to always believe you can get there, but never believe that you are there. I feel like there's, there's so many ways to connect that back to being an undergraduate too. And at like the paths that you try to go down, trying things, especially r right now. Like if you, if you were to give, you, you'd talk about failure and trying things. Like if you were to give advice to an undergraduate right now about just trying to, to get better and improve, what, what would you tell them to do around this concept of like failure and trying? I would tell them, first of all, no one, no one cares about your success, but you. And so many times people put this unneeded pressure on themselves. You know, in, in my business, constantly people are like, oh, I'm going to do my first show. And, and what if it doesn't go well? I'm like, oh, is the president of Hollywood going to be there? It doesn't matter. No one's watching your set. Shut up and learn how to be a comic. And that's what it is for so many professions. Just shut up and learn how to do the profession. Whatever it is, no one expects you to be great your first try at anything. And if they do, they're unreasonable and those people won't matter. The, 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 and the people who have that expectation of you, you're going to pass those people in a couple of years anyway because they're unrealistic. And so my advice for anyone in, starting out in any profession is A, failure is part of the path. It is you, you have to make mistakes to be able to learn from them. Also, try to learn as much as you can from other people's mistakes so you don't have to make as many of your own. And also, shut up, put your head down, and put the work in. Because if you aren't putting the work in, you're stealing from yourself. The only way you're ever going to be a success at anything is to actually do the work. So how did, how did you promote yourself? To, I mean, it, this is a competitive industry. Clearly, you've put in the work. How, how have you how have you grown to where you are right now in the industry? Um, I so one of the things that the guys used to say about me during the eboard meetings was that I had a thousand ideas every day, and nine hundred and ninety nine of them were horrible, but there was one that was a gem, and their job as the eboard was to figure out which one the gem was and to figure out which the nine hundred ninety nine stupid ones were. And that's that's what my career has been. Um, it's it's been. I mean, probably the most ridiculous idea I had was it was probably I think it was like my first year on the road, and I would go eat in these random restaurants in random towns and see headshots up on the wall of people that no one's ever heard of, and and I was thinking I was like, there's no way one of the servers recognized that person who's been on two episodes of a soap opera. And it was like, oh, my God, can I have an autographed picture? And they happen to have one with them. There's no way. I was like, that person must have figured out how to get on that wall. And I was like, maybe I can get on the wall. And so I just started. Uh, I, I picked one town. I picked Bloomington, Indiana, because I, I was doing a bunch of shows uh, at, at one of the clubs there. And I may, I sent letters out as my own agent because I didn't have an agent. And so I sent out letters to like 20 different restaurants in and around, like around the club with an autograph headshot saying like, hey, Steve Hofstadter, last time he was at Bear's Place, he loved eating at your fill in the blank. 
um, you know, and, and just wanted you to know that. And so this is his token of appreciation or whatever. And apparently one Chinese food place put it up on the wall and like everybody else just threw it out. <laughs> it was just completely ignored. <laughs> but the, the point of that story is that like, you have to have a thousand dumb ideas in order to find the good one. And, you know, for me, eventually it was recording shows and putting them up on, on YouTube um, and, you know, and kind of leaning into the social media stuff worked for me. Um, but it was, I, I think the biggest lesson that can be pulled from it was when, when the first clip I had that went really, really viral, like 4 million views in a week viral. Um, if that had happened and I had nothing else to back it up, it wouldn't have helped. But I had paid for and produced my own special that was already on my YouTube. I had hundreds of other clips that were already on my YouTube. And so when that went viral and people started being interested, then they looked at other stuff and they became subscribers instead of just someone who saw a video. When you think of all the things that have gone viral over the years that didn't change the people's lives at all, like there, there was that woman who was giggling in the gorilla mask and she, you know, and that thing had, I think like 50 million views and she was on the Today Show and all this stuff. And then nothing ever happened again because that's all she did. And so having already created the body of work is really what made it happen. And there's that phrase that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. People who don't put the work in cannot get lucky. It's impossible. Because if, you know, if I were to happen to take a, a shared Uber ride and the person's the president of NBC, that's luck because he and I could talk and I have a bunch of projects and I have credit that I've already established in the business and I have work that I've already done. Whereas if an open mic comic has that same car ride, nothing's going to come of it because they didn't put the work in yet. So has all that work in social media helped you in the current environment? Oh, so much. It's the reason I'm okay. It's the reason I have a, a broadcast studio I'm doing. <laughs> I'm doing this from like... So you know, so so many of our, our chapters, and I'm sure the same is true with alumni who are running business, they've had to reinvent themselves. Yeah. Can can you talk to us about how you've, you've reinvented yourself? I mean, clearly you're doing well. I mean, you can just look at your background and say like, man, Steve's kind of figured this stuff out. <laughs> uh, you know, what, what do you, what do you do? How do you, how do you pivot? How do you reinvent yourself? Like, what was your mindset as you went through that? Well, the, okay. Okay. The reason my eyes are darting everywhere right now is because I'm not doing this on a webcam on my laptop. I have a giant projection screen in front of me. And that came from, you know, the first week of the pandemic, I was sitting at a desk with my laptop in front of me. And the thought was always like, how can I do this better? What would make this better? And I was like, oh, what if there were a monitor across from me? And so I took the TV that was in my bedroom and I moved it to the wall opposite me in my office. And then I was thinking, like, can I make this better? And I thought, oh, projector and projection screen. That is, you know, to get a giant TV is a fortune, but to get a projector and a projection screen is reasonable. And so constantly thinking, how can I do this better? How can I do this better? Is there a way? The answers to everything are on Google. Hell, if you just tweet something wrong, you'll find the answer because a thousand people will incorrect you. <laughs> Or will correct you. Sorry, incorrect you is a is a fun phrase I like. But anyway, the uh, the idea is go. Okay, what do I want to do, and how can I do it better? And so, for me, create creating the Nowhere Comedy Club, which is the background that's behind me, 
that was something that, um, you know, my buddy Ben Glebe and I were talking about, okay, how do we create a digital comedy club? What can we do to pivot digitally during this? And a lot of people were asking the wrong question. A lot of people in our industry were saying, how can I perform to as many people as possible? But that's not how it works in real life. In real life, a comedy club doesn't just open the doors and let anyone walk in. It's limited. It's, it's cultivated. And so we applied that principle. And the right question to ask was, how do we perform to the best audience possible? And the way to do that is to actually charge for tickets, which they do in the real world. And so asking the right questions is super important. And so if you're trying to duplicate what you were doing before, you can't do it exactly. We're at home. It's not going to work. You can't simply throw a party and have a bunch of people come. You can't go to a ball game. You can't, there's a million things you can't do that were so integral to programming and recruitment and community service that we just can't do right now. But what you have to do is you have to ask yourself the question, you know, you have to ask yourself the right questions, whatever that is in your industry or whatever that is at your university. And everyone's situation is different. But it's important. The first question you have to ask yourself is, what are the right questions? What were a few of the things that you you just really nailed as you were answering these questions and making this transition? Like you just knocked it out of the park. Um, I think I think one of the biggest things that we that we did is figure out that comedy doesn't exist without laughs, and there are so many comedians who are just performing to no one. And that's the saddest thing. Comedy specials are filmed in front of an audience because stand-up comedy is a, is a conversation of energy. And so uh, one of the things that we did was we want mics on and we will deal with the issues of having microphones on. A lot of comedians are, are afraid right now, but like, well, but then anyone can ruin the show. I'd be like, yeah, that can happen at a theater also, dummy. <laughs> Like someone can yell at a theater and you know what happens when someone yells at a theater? First of all, you spend five minutes figuring out who the person is. Then a bouncer has to make his way through that row and find the person and then have a very ugly conversation in front of a lot of people while that person does not want to be thrown out. You know what happens when someone's an asshole online? Dink, done. They're gone. That's all. And so why not roll the dice and have that risk? And then we also hired staff to manage that. So that as a performer, you can concentrate on performing. You're not worried about who's talking, whose mic is on. I hear a dog. Like you don't have to do any of that stuff. You have people whose job it is to actually do that stuff. And so delegating is really important. Um, and, you know, and, and trusting that you have the right people who are, who are working on it with you uh, is, is really important. You also have developed quite the reputation for handling hecklers. <laughs> I have, I'll, although. I'll point that out. Yeah, although uh, you don't really have to do that digitally. They've been real nice. Although, I mean, interruptions still happen because uh, there are definitely some people who are like, I've always wanted to watch a comedy show, but also while eating a handful of cereal into a microphone. Like, you definitely have that happening. Someone on the first show I did, someone had their pet parrot next to them. Look, it happens. But, uh, but, but the, hey, man, you suck, that's kind of gone away, which is amazing. And I also think it's hilarious for someone to get kicked out of a show in their own house. Like imagine getting thrown <laughs> out of a show while you're in your living room. That's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, what a story. Um, 
You had mentioned failure and learning from failure and continuous improvement. Were there were there things that you tried that you're like, oh, we're gonna pivot real fast and get away from this thing? Um, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of like things that went wrong. Um, I mean, there are definitely things we didn't know how to do yet. Like, you know, we've gotten very good at audio now, which in the beginning we we were just doing it because Zoom was not created for stand up comedy shows. You know, Zoom was created for business meetings where the first half of the meeting is just people going, is, is my mic on? Is my, is my sound on? My, oh, Joe, your camera's off. Okay, turn your camera on. And then just someone off just kind of yeah. with this shot here, like just trying to like. Which is a good Zoom, one for us. but it's, That's yeah. what Zoom was. Yeah, I mean, I'm wearing, I'm wearing the right <laughs> shirt. That's what Zoom was. But, you know, trying to figure out how to make Zoom work for stand-up was definitely a process. I mean, one of the things was on my first day, I overcorrected. And, you know, I talk about hiring people. I had five, I had five bouncers like to, you know, handle guest list. And I didn't realize that like, they're just overlapping each other and someone goes to mute somebody and then someone else goes to mute them at the same time. And the second person unmutes them. And so like there, there were problems like that where we had to figure out, okay, what's the right number. And at first we limited shows to 150 people. Cause we're like, okay, that'll be manageable. And that was an underestimation. We, we could have done way better for the performer and for us because, you know, now our, our max is 500 people. And so, you know, but we wanted to, you know, be careful and ramp up. But, man, we, you know, we, we, we left some tickets on the board there. So, you know, we, but you, you live and you learn. Right. I feel like a lot of people are doing that in the, in the world of COVID right now, uh, especially if you've been in the crowd business, trying to work your way through that. Yeah, uh, re- like re- reflecting on on all of this, like if if you were to talk to a vice president of recruitment, um, a vice president of communications, just looking back, knowing what you know now, what what type of advice would you give those guys who are really dealing with similar challenges to the ones you're dealing with of of pivoting and trying to bring people to an organization in a very different environment? I would say. Um take a look at what other organizations are doing right. Take a look at what other organizations are doing wrong. But also don't try to play catch up. Don't say, hey, we're going to try to, you know, this other chapter on our campus has been doing this and it's working for them. So why don't we also do it? Okay, maybe. But you also have to figure out what you're going to do that's going to want to make them try to emulate you. You need to figure out what is not being done yet to to help us stand out. And the most important thing right now is to understand what people are going through. Like yeah. you can't meet a need without knowing what the need is. And so understand that so much of this right now is connection. You know the the human the human problem is is that we are a species for the most part that needs social interaction and we're not able to have that right now. And so um I would say, first of all, don't do anything unsafe. Do not, do not be one of those idiot chapters that makes the news because 15 of you come down with COVID. Like, do not, oh, you know what we'll do? Uh, let's, let's, do a, let's do a maskless party. Won't that, won't that make us stand out? Be like, yeah, it'll make you really stand out. One of you will die. Um, you can be creative about ways to have physical interaction that is actually safe. Um, But also think through what do people need digitally? You know, what is it that they're going through at home? 
Um, when it comes to a community service thing, you know, is there something about groceries for people who can't leave their house? Is there, you know, there are so many needs going on right now and you have to figure out what the needs are in your community and meet those. As you've tried to, to grow uh, or, or launch this uh, online comedy show and online presence, you've surrounded yourselves with, with yourself with other comics. How have you tried or how have you selected those? So those people that you've just you've been around or were you pretty selective in who came on to the Nowhere Comedy Club? Um, I mean, it's it's a combination of people willing to be early adopters because this is new and weird. Um, and so typically the early adopters are people who trust you. You know, one of the first shows we did with, was with Josh Wolf because he's a buddy and he basically said, you know, look, I don't understand it, but if you believe in it, let's give it a shot. <laughs> and that's yeah. that's what you need. You know, you need those people in your circle. But then eventually what happens is, you know, you get people who talk to each other. You know, um, Judy Friedlander talked to Judy Gold and said, hey, this is really fun. And then Judy Gold did a show with us, you know, and the Sklar brothers talked to Jim Gaffigan and then Jim Gaffigan was with us. And then Mike Birbiglia came in. And so like, the, you know, the more people you get, the more access you have to other people. And, and that's important. But also, you know, our general rule is we try not to do any shows with anyone who's a dick. That's just pretty much, it's pretty much our rule. It's a goal uh, of recruitment. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's the idea no of like, <laughs> if they're going to be hard to work with, then they're not worth working with. You know, we're not, we're thankfully in a position where we're not, scrambling for talent and so you know we can afford to be choosy it's one of the one of the things i've often said is that principles are expensive um you know it to give up opportunity to stand your ground is something that you have to be in a privileged position to be able to do um but it's something that can work out long term so i i firmly believe in it um you know we have passed on shows based on the you know us not liking things the comedian has been accused of or or probably did or definitely did. Um, and, you know, we're just being a, a tough person to work with. Um, and then the the people who are, I guess, the people who are easy to work with and who become your biggest cheerleaders and like they, they get more work because we're happy to be around them and we know that they're going to put the effort in. We know that they're not going to show up after sound check and, you know, and not bother it. We have a whole procedure of like, you've got to reset your router to make sure your internet is working best as possible. You've, you know, you shut down all other programs on the computer. We do not want you, you know, reading, you know, we don't want you reading your phone during the headliner set because we want you to be ready in case something goes wrong if you're the host, you know? And so, uh, you know, you identify the people who are, you know, who are enthusiastic and, and, um, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, talent and enthusiasm outweigh experience and you know you can you can teach experience you can't you you can't teach talent you can't teach enthusiasm it can we get into leadership a little bit because it sounds like that that has been absolutely critical to how you've navigated through this is yeah were, were there are there like leadership philosophies or a framework that that you follow as as you try and build this this new concept and lead other people down this path well there's there's a story i like to tell from when i was an undergrad and uh 
so, you know, I'm a, I'm a sophomore and the elections were coming up and I had, you know, big dreams of running for uh, VP of programming. And a couple of the seniors, including the then president of the chapter, pulled me aside uh, one night. We we're all hanging out and they said, have you considered running for eboard? And I was very like proud and kind of puffed up my chest and yeah, I'm, I'm going to run for VP of programming to which the chapter president said, have you considered running for anything higher? And I said out loud, I said the words, there is nothing higher because I didn't think president was a possibility. I didn't, that was not on my radar as something I could do. And like the guys laughed and they were like, well, what about president? And I had never considered it because, you know, at the time I thought I thought big and I wasn't actually thinking big. I was thinking as big as I could in my little realm without thinking, what else can I do? And not only did these guys, it was amazing for them to, they thought I was a rising leader, but also it changed my perspective. And from then on, I, I started thinking differently and I started thinking, you know, there's that you know, the, the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal, right. the, I, I started thinking more in that direction. And, you know, so I eventually, you know, I was chapter president and then I was president of our order of Omega. And then I was, I ran for national board and won off the floor, which is rare. And it was because I stopped telling myself no. And other people can tell, you no know, all they want, but I stopped telling myself no. And I, I think that that's really important when it also comes to running a business. The, the idea of like, can we get Jim Gaffigan to do a show? Well, maybe. Let's find out. Don't tell yourself no. Can we get Mike Birbiglia to do a show? Maybe. Don't tell yourself no. And, you know, when it comes to leading, it's also infusing that lesson to other people. And it's also... I think one of the biggest things now, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier about understanding what people are going through, it's you can't just plow forward. You have to plow forward while also reaching a hand back to bring people with you. And, you know, I know that can sound like an empty platitude, but what I mean is under, try to understand what other people's challenges are because other people's challenges are different than yours. You can't just say, you know, in for me, I can't just say to people, well, why don't they have a broadcast set up in their house? Well, maybe they're living paycheck to paycheck. You know, maybe they can't afford to buy a new camera. Maybe, you know, maybe they have a roommate who doesn't want them turning their house into that, you know? And so you have to figure out what other people's challenges are. You know, maybe they went home for the pandemic to take care of a parent and they can't concentrate on this right now. And so, however it is, you know, you, you can't lead without understanding who you're leading. For the, uh, for the guys who are, who are listening to this and, and now realize that, man, Steve Hostetter is like the total package. The guy's he's, he's smart. <laughs> he's, he's funny. I want to be like this guy. Um, wh what type of career advice would, would you provide the, the young guys that are listening to us right now? First, I encourage you to find a better role model, but also... <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I say that, you know, what kind of career advice, um, there, there will be someone in your field in SIGEP that you can talk to. 
And if your field is comedy, please reach out to me. If your field is not comedy, but somewhere in entertainment, I can't help you. <laughs> I get so many people who are just like, yeah, hey, you know, I'm really thinking about uh, filming documentaries. I'm like, great. I don't know how to do that. I have no idea how to do that. Good luck to you. I can give you some general principles, but that's all I got. So I, I do encourage people to, you know, find the right mentor, whoever that is. Um, understand that whoever you want to mentor you is already mentoring 30 other people. And so they're not necessarily going to be able to take on someone new. Um, but at the very least, try to find that person. Um, I had I had someone uh, come talk to me at a show. Um, there was a, an, an alum that, you know, that knew I was a SIGAP, brought two undergrads uh, who were interested in the entertainment field to a show and asked if I could talk to them afterward. I said, absolutely. And one of them was telling me, you know, everything he's done. Oh, and I did this at the school paper and I did this other, you know, et cetera. And I was like, oh, you know, that, that's cool. And I started trying to give him advice and he just kept telling me what he's done. And finally I stopped him. I go, Hey man, you want to just email me a resume and then not listen to me over email? Or you want to, you want to actually take some advice from someone who's trying to help you? Because the, the mistake I see a lot of people making is you're trying to prove your worth to someone. If they're talking to you and trying to give you advice, they already think you're worth their time. So just shut up and listen, you know, and then ask the right questions. But you know, I, I, I cannot emphasize enough the advice of the advice that they're giving is not about you. It's about who you're going to be, not what you've already done. Steve, where can we check out your show? Uh, well, watch me live at the Nowhere Comedy Club. Um, in addition to you know me, we have 10 shows a week of uh, a lot of comedians you've heard of. Uh, it's NowhereComedyClub.com. I also do a live stream uh, four days a week that is absolutely free. You can see that on my YouTube or my Facebook. Um, and if you want to see where my digital shows are, or find out my new videos, um, I have a new app. Just go to appsteve.com or you can search it on the uh, Google Play Store or the uh, iPhone Store. Uh, and uh, iPhone Store, Apple Store, whatever it is. Uh, and uh, you can get more information that way. Steve, we know you're crazy busy and you always have time for us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Brian. It's, it's an honor to even be asked. Good luck with everything, buddy. Can't wait to see uh, another show soon. Thank you much. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcast or follow on Spotify. And while you're there, please rate the show and give us a review. We'd love your feedback. You can also write to us at communications at sigep.net or follow along on social media at officialsigep. Our show is produced by Ben Ford and Joe Curley. I'm Brian Warren, and you've been listening to Lessons in Leadership on the SIGEP Podcast.